Tommy Lorenzo. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the T in your Tilo, Tom Fitzgerald. And I'm here with the low in your Tilo, Lorenzo, my cousin, my lovely husband. Hello. And how is Lorenzo today? Uh, we're good. We're yeah. good. January is um, just a drought of content. So we're always like just making our way, inching our way day by day towards uh, award season again. Right. Uh, so I. So it's always a weird month for us where we have to be a little more creative or we have to do um, coverage that we wouldn't do when the things are a little busier. Right, right. So it's that kind of month for us. Um, that kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't expect anyone to be like, no, Boo-hoo, you guys, God, that sounds no, terrible. Absolutely not. But it sometimes you get complicated or we just have to come up with something. Yep. Uh, at the last minute. Uh, and, uh, but we do have plenty of interesting stuff to talk about today. We are going to, uh, pay tribute and talk about the legacy and the life of Andre Leon Tiley, right. who died this week. And, um, I know Lorenzo wants to talk a lot about Station Eleven because, uh, I do? <laughs> a lot? Well, okay. <laughs> not a lot. You want, Yeah. We'll see, but <laughs> I think once you get going, you'll get going. Station Eleven is an HBO limited series, HBO Max limited series that uh, actually ended last week that we didn't cover, and I'm going to go into reasons why we didn't cover it because I didn't like it for most of its run. And then, of course, we'll yell a little bit about um, and just like that uh, this week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, lots to cover. Lots to cover. Lots to talk about. So first, Andre Leon Talley. Um, uh, former editor at large of Vogue magazine had mm-hmm. a just a an amazing career amazing in the world career, of fashion yes. in the world of magazine public uh, publishing. Um, he started out at uh, Interview Magazine with Andy Warhol, and well, actually, he started out at the Costume Institute yes. with Deanna Vreeland. Yes, yes, that's the, how he started as the an legendary yeah. Vogue editor, and then he. Um, he moved on to Interview Magazine, Andy Warhol's Interview Magazine, and then from there he went to Women's Wear Daily, and then eventually he wound up at Vogue, where he became uh, buddies with Anna Winter, mm-hmm. and the two of them rose through the ranks. Um, but there's also more to him than that. When I, when I, uh, I didn't... Uh, there's I did, so much to talk about. There is, <laughs> his, he lived large. He was yeah. a large man who lived a large life, who had a long and large reach. And I really think he is one of those figures that um, we don't know yet. We will have to be a decade or two removed from his absence to, under, understand, to, yeah. to understand his mm-hmm. contributions. Um, I will admit that when I came into writing about fashion, which was only a little over a decade ago for me, I was not someone who... Uh, Worshipped fashion like No, me. <laughs> no, no. I, I had a, a pretty decent understanding of it as a as a fashionable gay man. And I knew who Andre was since, you know, the early 90s at least. But... Um, I wasn't in that world. I wasn't of that world. And um, I probably didn't have the best understanding of him as a figure, uh, the importance of him as a figure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is one of the things I want to address today. For a lot of people, Andre Leontali is the, you know, the uh, sassy, funny judge on America's Next Top Model. Isn't Mm -hmm. that the one he was on? Yeah, Yeah, that was the one he was on. Or the uh, the funny commentary he does, he gives on Met Gala red carpets and that sort of thing. But that's how you become famous. You you show up on TV. (laughs) I know, but he was a lot more than that. He was definitely more than that judge on on, um, America's Next Top Model. Uh, I... um, my misunderstanding of him was that he was a black man, a black American man who worshipped luxury and whose career 
um, was spent supporting powerful white women. You know, before right. uh, Anna Winter, he was at Deanna Vreeland's side. Uh, and that is uh, uh, that is a misunderstanding of him. And it, it took me years to understand that that is not how that worked out for him. That is a, a surface level understanding of what his career was like and what his life was like. Um, if you ever watch the documentary on his life, it's only from a couple of years ago, like 2017, yeah, yeah. I we think. We covered it on, on the site. I think we have a post about it. Um, the Gospel According to Andre. Yeah. It's, it's a really good documentary that lays out all of his... Um, not just his background, but the things that he worshipped, the things that... Um, and the thing you have to understand about Andre is what he worshipped became his philosophy of life. He didn't just love things. He made a lifestyle out of loving the things that he loved. Right. Um, I can so relate. <laughs> uh, I, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, luxury know. above everything, as he would say. But um, uh, it, it wasn't about... Uh, I just want to like when he died this week. I, I um, I looked to a lot of black culture writers, black gay writers, mm-hmm. uh, to see what they were saying about him because I really wanted to see what the response would be. Considering he was a man, uh, who was his whole career was spent, um, moving in wealthy white circles, in a lot of ways. Uh, and uh, the columnist Tressie McMillan Cotton for the New York Times, she told a really charming story about running into him at the gro- They didn't know each other, but they ran into each other at the grocery store and they started chatting. And she said something that I just laughed and I was like, this is not for me. I don't even understand what it means, but I love that she said this about him. She said he was black, black <laughs> with her. Um, and I could imagine, I guess, what, what that meant to her. Or how I'm, But I'm sure a black person understands what she means by right, that right, way right. more than I do. Uh, and then I, I saw um, other uh, um, black gay writers talking about the, important, the incredible importance he had to them mm-hmm. uh, in that space, um, uh, working at the highest levels of that space, pr- demanding the highest levels of fashion for himself and luxury for himself, and how important that was to them. Um, I just want to like Saeed Jones, the, um, uh, he's a poet and writer whose work I really love. Uh, he wrote a really lovely, um, uh, uh, post about him, about how, about his luxury or nothing, um, uh, philosophy in life. And he quoted them and said, there is a famine of beauty. And look at us now trying to make something worthy from memory's hem. Look at us now draped in knowing just how good, how rich, how black we had it with him. Onward. There's got to be more out there somewhere, out here somewhere. So, uh, you know, I just want to, uh, and I feel very strongly when, when important black cultural figures die and you make yourself as a white, um, you know, person, part of that conversation, you should at least make some space for the people who, for black people and right. what he meant to them. So I did want to, I wanted to make that point because we want to talk about him in, in slightly critical terms here. We're not going. Uh, yes and no. I mean, both. Yes, both. Uh, we're going to talk about the width and breadth of his right, uh, right. career and um, the pitfalls that he may have made along the way. But we, I just wanted to start off by addressing that. And I want to tell one story, and then I promise I'll turn this over to you because you are the fashion expert. We went to a Shadow Ralph Rucci show. It was when we were first going to fashion shows uh, for New York Fashion Week. So this was over, it was about 10 years ago. Shadow Ralph Rucci isn't even a brand anymore. Ralph Rucci is an American couturier. 
he dressed people like Martha Stewart and all these socialites yeah. and well, absolutely designed. stunning clothes. He and uh, he's in the documentary. He and and um, Andre had been friends for years. And we went to this show, and we had seen Andre at Fashion Week. I mean, there's no missing him. He sweeps into a tent. And and he's loud. And, and he's large, and he's yeah. in these enormous, gorgeous, silk-embroidered caftans. Um, he is a figure in every sense of the word. Uh, now, I am a uh, large man. I'm not anywhere in the world that Andre is existed in. And I don't mean that, you know, I just mean that the difficulties he had were compounded. I only know a small percentage of what it's like to be in that world, in the world of fashion as a large man. And I said this to you the other night, I love fashion shows. I actually miss going to them. I think it would like fashion week is coming up in a couple of weeks. I'm like, Oh, we should have sent out a couple of requests, but but pretty much nobody's going anymore. I know, but I do miss the thrill of of those shows. I I have cried during beautiful fashion shows. But as I said to you the other night and talking about this in my entire life, I have never been in a more inhospitable space for me Mm -hmm. as a large person than the fashion world, than right. being inside a tent. Right. And I'm telling, the, like, the chairs are tiny, there's no moots, and they expect everyone to be a size two, a female size two, sitting in those chairs. Um, and I sometimes would see the difficulties uh, Andre had in, in moving through that space and in sitting in that space. And at the Shadow Ralph Rucci show, they gave him his own seat on top of the stage, if you look, if you think of a classic runway, it's usually a T shape where the women, the models come out on either side at the top of the T and then walk down the length of it. Well, he was seated at the top of the T, and basically every model had to walk pa- around him, <laughs> walk around Andre yeah. to get to the runway. Yeah. And um, it was, it I was, thought it was powerful. It was because um, he walked on stage, remember? And, yeah. and, and sat and everyone started applauding because right. he, because everybody knows him and right. everybody likes him in the fashion world, at least. And everyone was like, oh my God, he's right there. He's literally right there. a king yeah. on a throne. It's, right, right, we right. wrote a tweet uh, that went viral this week uh, that we where we called him the king of fashion. And that was the image of him. That That is the image of him I remember. Be, and I, it's powerful because he was sitting in front of a scrim under very powerful light overhead so like the features of his face all fell in shadow and all you could see was this enormous silk caftan that he was wearing it was just a very i wish i had taken a picture of it Mm -hmm. um maybe there isn't an old camera roll but i just thought it was powerful as a black man not me as a black man but seeing a black man sitting up there like a king on a throne uh being given the ultimate in comfort in that in a space that doesn't allow him comfort there was so much deference in that in that scenario to me that it it was all i could think of this week and all i could think is of what it took to be a black man Mm -hmm. of that size in that world to rise to those heights and my initial mistaken thought was that he had latched onto these white women who helped his career. And that isn't it at all. It is about his innate understanding of how to use power to right. secure it for right, himself. Right, right. And his love of luxury, as he dic- as he says in the documentary, and he said in his own um, uh, uh, autobiography uh, in the Chiffon Trenches, um, all of that love of luxury and everything came from his Southern background as a black man and going to church on Sundays and seeing right. all those black people right, in their right, finery. 
Um, anyway, that is my introduction no, uh, just... to the great Andre Leon Talley and my understanding of him as a, right, he's right. not just that sassy, funny, big gay man who who sits on the America's Next Top Model and says that's entirely too much fashion. All right, <laughs> now you that's cute. You you talk about him. Um, my introduction to Andre Leon uh, Talley was um, watching for the first time the, the, the um, fashion documentary called Catwalk from 1995. Uh, the documentary followed follows a bunch of models but mainly primarily Kristen Turlington my favorite model of all times um and I was very young was very much in love with fashion and it was the first fashion movie I watched documentary and I just watched that thing over and over again with my friends and that was my introduction to him because he's in a documentary and it's the first time ever because you know I'm used to watching everyone Carl Lagerfeld everybody else um all these skinny white privileged people in the fashion world right. and all of a sudden i'm watching this documentary and this very tall because he was tall very tall very you know large black guy talking about fashion having conversations with kyle lagerfeld and i was like who is this man yeah uh and everyone is listening to him and he's being interviewed and has an opinion about everything and i'm like wow who is this guy so it was the first time ever that i actually saw a black person a gay man black person, you know, not skinny, um, having that much importance in the fashion industry, everyone listening to him and yeah. he's giving interviews and, you know, Kyle Lagerfeld is asking him for advice and showing him his sketches and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, wow, who is this guy? So I fell in love with him. And of course, you know, that was my introduction and I read more about him. And at the time, you have to remember, I mean, I never, at the time, I never thought that would be attending fashion shows and see him in person. So... When we saw him many times, especially the Oscar de la Renta shows yes. and, you know, the main shows, that's uh, the ones he was attending. Um, I was just um, surprised and just, I couldn't believe he was there. And um, he's just great. He's just this incredible man with a lot of love for fashion. Like nobody can talk or could talk about fashion the way he did. It was just this incredible passion for fashion, a huge influence. Uh, everyone listened to him and his opinion and his um, what he had to say. He was very good at talking about trends and things that would you know be coming up in terms of fashion. Just an amazing guy. Um, um, Whoopi Goldberg said in the documentary something that I think is really powerful about him, where she, she's also been a friend of his for thirty years, where she said he was all those things he wasn't supposed to be. Right. And people just had to, they couldn't get around it. They had to deal with that. He was, you know, he took up so much space in so many literal ways and figurative ways and then commanded those spaces right. through right. his own expertise. And he was loaded with expertise right. about fashion exactly. and about art and about culture. Um, he knew what he, what he was talking about. Yeah. Um, that's the thing. He, he, and that's the thing I kind of want to get across here is that he can be seen as this almost larger than life, almost comic cultural figure. Mm -hmm. And he certainly cultivated that in many, many ways, but he was really important and he was, um, exceptional to be able to do what he did. And when he got to those heights, he, um, turned around and worked his whole career to make, uh, high fashion, more diverse. And, you know, the reason we see more black models on runways now is a large part of that is due mm -hmm. to his work, especially in American fashion, um, putting them on covers and that sort of right. thing. That is his sort of, that is his background. Um, 
Uh, what about his his life with Anna? What do you want to say about he that? He had an amazing career, and um, they had a great relationship. But with everybody else, um, anyone else who worked with, with Anna Winter, they they pretty much have the same story. Uh, she's very business oriented. She's a very cold woman. Uh, she doesn't like to show emotions, and she doesn't like to you know act like a human being, right? Because that's her way of you know working through things and her career and and so on. Um, so I guess he always felt that she didn't appreciate him enough. Um, and that's true of a lot of people, uh, working with her. Um, she's very, you know, she'll say she likes something. She'll, she'll appreciate you. I mean, if you watch the September, uh, issue, uh, movie, um, you can tell like the way she talks to everybody. Um, and of course they had a falling out where she right. let him go from Vogue. Right. The thing is that that's, that's the point I'm trying to make here that she's your friend or she appreciates you and she has a long relationship with you until she has to fire you or until she feels like she has to fire you. And then, you know, she has no problem doing that. Right. And that's what happened. But having said all that, I don't, I mean, there are stories, you know, that she helped him get a loan to buy a house for his grandmother because he grew up with his grandmother. Right. Um, there's also stories of uh, her helping him and help the magazine. I mean, the magazine paid for like him going to treatments because he gained a lot of weight and he was having all these health problems. Right. So the magazine worried about his health, according to what I read. She worried about his health and she started convincing the magazine um, to pay for all the expenses. So there's all that, right. too. Again, she's obsessed with skinny people. Maybe she didn't want him to just be fat. Who knows? Right. Maybe she wasn't that concerned about his health. I don't know. But my point is that she did help him several times. Right. So, I don't know. It's hard to tell. Um, and you mentioned before we flipped on the mics, uh, his his financial problems, that he had a good deal. His love of luxury led lot, him down yeah. some roads. He spent a lot of money, and he had financial troubles uh, every now and then in his life. Until the end of his life, when he was suing friends because he was living in a house, uh, he was renting a place, and then um, the friend, and he claims that he he's, he was paying rents towards actually buying the place, and the friend said, no, that's not the, the agreement we had. So the, he sued them, and they sued him, and there's this, yeah, you know, big thing going on. So I do feel, but I, you know, knowing the fashion industry the way we know now, I totally understand, not understand, but I can see where he was because the fashion uh, people in general they're treated like royalty, right? Uh, like they go to fashion shows and they stay in the best hotels. People send flowers to them. They get all these gifts, you know, and clothes and fashion and jewelry accessories. So you have this life that, in a way, you can't afford uh, with your own money, but you're used to that. I mean, he used to go spend summer or spring or whatever holidays with Karl Lagerfeld. Right. You know, in this luxurious mansions and stuff. So you, you On live. a Vogue salary, and he right. was, um, he, he once claimed that the white editors were getting three times what he was making. I believe him. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. yeah so. Uh, you know, but my point is that, Fashion people in general. I actually read an interview a long time ago with, with an intern at Vogue. And she said, you know, this is what I make. But I'm surrounded by Dolce Gabbana, Versace, right. and Chanel. I'm wearing these clothes and I can't afford them. Right. Um, so you live that life, but you just don't have the money for it. Right. And you get used to it. So you end up having, you know, financial issues right. and problems. So, yeah. Um, it 
it could not have been easy to live the life that he pursued for right. himself um, as the person that he was, uh, with I mean, so he, many things stacked against right. him. And uh, I don't know if you're not into fashion the way we're into fashion. It might sound like the not such a great legacy that he was so obsessed with luxury, 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 luxury. Mm-hmm. And he used to say things, and it's in the documentary, and I've seen it in articles and sound bites with him where he said things and it, this is a very diana vreeland kind of thing where it's like luxury can be a gown but it can also be a gesture from a friend and i'm like yeah but, <laughs> but you, you have chanel <laughs> you have devoted your career not right. to gestures from friends but to expensive gowns um and um i can understand that to a lot of people that might not seem like a worthy pursuit of your life but um it's very clear when you when you see interviews with him or read interviews with him how much he doesn't see any difference between like a masterpiece painting in a gal in a in a museum and a masterpiece of fashion. To him, it is high fine art. It is right. the same level of luxury. Um, it is aesthetically perfect. Um, so I just I guess the point I'm trying to make is if you look at his career and his philosophy of life, it really wasn't about the pursuit of money. If it was about the pursuit of money, he could have hired money managers to make sure that he was. No, it wasn't about that. It was about the pursuit of aesthetic perfection. And coming um, as a uh, large black gay man from the Jim Crow South, uh, that had meaning for him that was more than, it wasn't about money. It was about... Um, affirmation. It was about elevating yourself to levels of society that are um, ostensibly denied to you. Mm -hmm. And the power of being able to do that at at 30 to 40 years ago, that just can't be underestimated or or understated when you talk about his life. As I said, he was more than just that sassy figure in a caftan. And it's it's hard to um, talk about their importance in general at that time, not just him but like all the supermodels and all the designers at the time because there, were, there was no social media there was nothing no. i mean if you didn't watch a documentary like i did the catwalk uh documentary you didn't know anything about it you you wouldn't be able to see those scenes where they actually show the shows and right. people talking and in hotels and that kind of stuff you know the actual life in in the fashion world um so it's fascinating now, and and then now everything is on Instagram, so it's a lot easier, right, to uh, measure the you know everything. Um, but it wasn't back then. Um, but yeah, I mean, like if you watch the documentary, he, I mean, he's yeah, his documentary. Uh, I'm, I still remember a scene where he said Anna Wintour told him to exercise, and, and he he goes to a tennis court, right? right? And he's wearing everything is Louis Vuitton from head to toe, like his right. bag, everything. And I just laughed because I was like, "That's him. That's, That's him." him. Um, and he didn't live his life in half measures, and that is to be admired. Um. But anyway, it's a, it's a major contribution to the fashion industry. Um, I mean, huge. And and I was actually surprised that so many um, channels and TVs, uh, TV channels and magazines and, and and publications talked about his death uh, because it is it is a big thing. Um, it, it it he was very very important for yeah. for a lot of people. Um, I agree, and um, I'm glad we could take the opportunity to talk about him. Because uh, he is important. Uh, and before we move on to talking about uh, television shows, um, one of which we love, another of which is still driving us crazy, want to talk about the one thing that is not driving me crazy, which is my Bombas socks. Yeah. We got up this morning. It yeah. was 
14 degrees outside today, and um, we've mentioned before, we we live and work in a big industrial loft space. It's mostly raw space. We have the big suspended, uh, you know, uh, air vent coming right, down right. the... The highest ceiling Hanging off the ceiling. And so it, it's, it's always been a chilly place, and on really cold days like this, you have to bundle up. And I got up this morning and saw the weather, saw how cold the place was going to be, and I thought... <gasps> I haven't worn my wool Bombas socks yet. <laughs> I have not broken them out yet because for the last month I've been wearing my um, holiday Bombas socks because I have two box collections, eight different holiday Bombas socks. Um, and I pulled out my wool Bombas socks and oh my goodness, my feet are so toasty warm and they're so soft. And I haven't even started reading the copy for this oh yet. Oh my God. Bombas' mission is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a luxuriously cozy feel, just like my wool Bombas socks. They're made from super soft materials like merino wool, pima cotton, and even cashmere, which makes them the perfect cozy winter layers. There's a pair of Bomba socks for everything you do. They come in tons of options like comfy performance styles for every sport and activity that keeps you moving. Bomba's t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and the perfect weight so they hang just right. Bomba's underwear has a barely there feel with second skin support that make that might make you forget they're even there in a good way. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. So go to bombas.com slash TLO and get 20% off any purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S.com slash TLO for 20% off. Bombas.com slash TLO. Thank you, Bombas. All right, Station Eleven, yes? Yes. Okay, I believe I might have mentioned it because on this podcast, I'm, I can't remember. I can remember, yeah. I started watching it and I was like, okay, I don't really think I want to watch a post-apocalyptic world after a virus kills off 99%. Of right. It. Like, that is the story. That part was still hard for me. And I was like, oh, man, yeah. I don't know if I want to watch this. And um, I did, t- it took me, a long time to I skip. I spent a week or two where I just wasn't catching up on it because, or and I was turning off episodes in like at the halfway point because I was like, "This is too." As I tweeted at one point, it's good, it's high quality, but it's work, right? but it feels like homework, yeah. and that's especially true in the middle of it. And um, we're not. There's not going to be any spoilers in this review because we. I think ultimately we are going to try and sell it to you a little bit because we wound up loving it. I got to the end of it. I got to the finale episode and um, I was blown away from it, blown away by it. So I said to Lorenzo, listen, I, I think you need to put some time in on this one, but I think it will pay <laughs> right. off for you. And you were so resistant to it. You were like, oh my God, are they going to get eaten? Oh my God, is, is this all really violent and bloody? Because like I said, it's 20 years after the ninety nine percent of the world has died off, and 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 actually, there's flashbacks to when everybody died. So I there's people going to grocery stores to load up before they barricade themselves in. There's scenes like that. So that doesn't sound like a selling point, and I get it. It's yeah, it's not a selling <laughs> point. And um, we're gonna unpack a little bit without giving um, stuff away. But um, 
for me, the hard, actually, I didn't mind the pandemic stuff because it was, it was the same thing uh, when I watched Contagion during lockdown, the first lockdown in 2020, that movie. The way, um, when you, I don't really want to minimize what we're going through right now in our, in our pandemic, but 99% of the world's population is not dying. Like that's a, that's mm -hmm. a, um, you know, crisis event. That is an extinction event. Uh, so I always feel a little more removed because as bad as things are right now, and there are certain scenes like when they're locked in that penthouse for months at a time, um, where it does feel important mm. to what we're, but it's still, it's, it may as well be a zombie apocalypse at that point. At one, there's a, there's a news program that says it has a one in 1000 survival rate. So we're actually talking 0.01% of the population survives. There is like... What does that mean? Like fifty thousand people in America? That's it? Like it, it, it didn't bother me to watch those scenes. Not really, because I didn't feel that it reflected the world that we were in right now. It's one of those things where the apocalypse happens in a matter of days. In a matter of days, everybody's dead. Right. Uh, that's not what happened with us. That's not what's happening with us. So I didn't feel that sense of tension. What killed me, what made it really, 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 really difficult for me to watch was the goddamn Shakespearean, traveling Shakespearean troupe. Mm -hmm. And this is what I want to get across if you haven't seen it. Uh, it isn't The Walking Dead. It isn't Contagion. That's not it. It checks off a few boxes to situate you in a world that makes you think the worst things are going right, to happen. Right. Uh, it's just, oh, oh, everyone, just violent, bloody, you know, whatever. And instead, it tells us a really touching uh, story that that underlines how human beings are all interconnected with each other in ways that we don't even right, know. Right, right, right. And that art, art is going to save humanity. That um, this traveling, because it's 20 years post-apocalypse, and it's this really ragtag, they look like a traveling company of Godspell. I really couldn't stand them. <laughs> they were like tumblers and actors going from town to town uh, around the Great Lakes region. That's where the whole thing is set. Uh, putting on Shakespearean plays. There's a reason for that, and it's all literally... And every time you complained about it to me, I was like, just get to the end because literally everything's explained. When I was watching the, the whole thing makes sense by the time you get to the final when episode. When I was watching the first episode, I complained so much about it that you actually walked out. I was like, and I, I can't. I said, you know what? Just turn this off. If you can't do it, you <laughs> can't do it. That's what you said. I was like, no, I'm going to continue watching. And, and you were weeping, being, weeping yes, at yes, the final episode. I was, I was. Because in the beginning, first episode, I was like, oh, my God, this man is so stupid. I can't deal with all, any of that. Oh, my God. W what is she doing? That type of reaction. Right, right, right. Um, but then slowly, you you begin to understand things and, and why they're doing things. And, you know, at the end, I didn't even mind the, the circus or whatever. Not circus. No, well, the, their their existence made a certain amount right, of sense. Right, right, right. Um, and as I said, the, it it was a look at the apocalypse that was actually hopeful. I know how weird that sounds, but it actually, um, and this may be hard for you to buy. Uh, I read an article in the LA times between two critics in the LA times where the one critic said that he, he really had a hard time buying the premise that, uh, humanity is generally good and will pull together in times of, which is basically what the story is that people are generally good 
and can be counted on to pull together. Yeah. That's a hard lesson. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if, if I'm experiencing that right now. <laughs> and that, that is part of, of the, what makes it difficult is the sort of, there is a sort of pie-eyed, super twee aesthetic about how people act and the way people are that is just not easy to get past. Mm -hmm. um, you really do have to put up with a lot of that. I will say, though, that it is anchored by some spectacular performances. Yes. yes. Mackenzie Davis is the lead I in the no entire... I she was that good. She's amazing. She's so charismatic, and yes. she's so... She's like seven feet tall. She's just so large and commanding in a very gentle way. Yes, like very she's, gentle. Yes. She's commanding by being quiet. Yes. And you only realize what a large person she is when you put her next to someone else. Otherwise, she doesn't come off right. that way. And I just mean tall. She's right, start, right. I know. What she, she literally is, I believe, something like six foot two. Um, and then Himesh Patel, uh, who plays, I wouldn't, I guess he is sort of a lead. There's whole episodes centered yeah, I mean, around what happens right. to him. And I just loved his character, um, Jivan, so, so, so I much. hated him in the he, first episode. He was a fuck-up who goes on a journey, who just gets hurt and right. bounces back. And it's just a beautiful story. Just an absolutely beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. story. I think everybody has a great story, actually. Um, um, and I love the way the show focused every now and then um, on how people feel and how people react, how people are reacting to what's going on. Right. It's not just showing what's going on. But your emotions and how you're reacting to every now and then, I remember there's a line where they say, "Who was the per last person you?" They're having conversation. That last person you met, yeah. Who was the last person you you met before this happened, and who was the first person you met after, after it this? Happened. And it, oh my god, I was like sobbing. Yeah, <laughs> listening yeah, to yeah, that because yeah. stuff like that. They, I agree. They, every now and then they throw something like that, and you're like, "Wow, that is so true." Yeah. Like, kind of what i'm living right now right uh not on the same level but you no. understand you understand yeah absolutely i don't want to say it doesn't relate to how we're living now but i didn't find that part of that aspect of it difficult to watch again because it does take such a hopeful a point of view uh, when it comes to humans and what we'll do in a situation like this i don't necessarily believe it but it is a lovely idea that i didn't mind spending time with and it gets to an ending. I should say that this is based on a book, on a famous right. book. And um, I believe they altered the story somewhat significantly from the book. But um, it, I, I just, yeah, I, if you have time and patience, and if the Shakespearean Godspell troupe doesn't annoy the shit out of you, I would say, I rarely ever say this, but if you put in the time, it will pay off for you in the end. Yes. I usually am not, I don't have the patience for shows like that. And believe me, I don't think the show ever gets bad. It's not like there are badly written episodes. Around. It's just the story meanders and it tells very, there's very colorful right. characters. It just feels like it's, it's never taking off. And then suddenly in the right, last... right three maybe two last two episodes it pulls together so tightly that you just didn't realize that this was right. all one story until it gets to the end three episodes, yeah that's yeah. when i fell in love with the show it looks like a bunch of random things happening to a bunch of people some of whom are interesting some of whom are not and then it there is a very very satisfying conclusion to the end of it i, I thought every character was interesting and everyone gave a phenomenal performance like the character clark uh, Miranda, yeah. Miranda Carroll, uh, yes. also amazing. All of these characters were terrific. Um, and, and yeah, it was just great to watch. Um, 
And every now and then it, it really hits you because it's like, wow, this is so wonderful. Yeah. Um, I didn't even mind the, the, you know, the Shakespearean thing towards the end because well, the, just, the yeah. final, yeah, they absolutely. do Hamlet in the final episode. And, it's and just, I'm like sobbing. And you're weeping your way through I'm Hamlet. I'm sobbing and admiring the costumes at the same time. <laughs> yes, the costumes are amazing. Uh, so yeah, I, I do actually recommend this. It's just going to make you work for that ending. Um, it's 10 episodes long. The episodes are an hour long. So yeah, but I do feel it's worth it. That's Station Eleven. Yeah, I on, agree. On, um, am I hearing noise in the background? Um, every now and then I hear something, but they might not hear it. Okay. So let's Sorry, not. folks. Yeah. Um, Station Eleven on HBO Max, highly recommended by Tilo. All right, also on HBO Max. And just like that, Tilo still oh having problems God, with it. yes. Ugh. Okay, so this is the episode where um, mm. Carrie deals with the fact that she's not cool anymore. And Miranda tells Steve about Che after Che freaks out to finding out that Miranda's married in the least believable scene I've ever seen. And then also at the same time, um, Charlotte uh, is giving Harry blowjobs, which um, uh, I, I mean, we'll get into this because that whole story, <laughs> I was like, okay, are they inadvertently revealing something here? But okay, let's start with Carrie. Once again, I feel they're actually doing okay by that character i do not mind what they're doing with her um uh the storyline uh, was largely about her dealing with a downstairs neighbor who is young and chic and right. a party girl which and a girl. was annoying as hell not her the, the whole thing about it here's here's uh, this goes back to a criticism we've made about the show before it's people in their early 40s which is the average age of the writing staff writing about people in their mid fifties who are having these neurotic reactions that are way more like being in your early forties. Being in your early forties is when you deal with being called ma'am and being caught right. and, and not being cool anymore. But by 55, am I supposed to believe that she, nobody you're still, ever called her you're, ma'am? Yeah. She was getting all upset because people were calling her ma'am. And what? I'm like, okay, by 55, you've been dealing with that for two decades. I don't believe that. Yeah. I was called sir when I was 28. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a matter of it, That's not how people in their mid fifties no, would react no, to that. And no. even Carrie, who was an it girl and a girl about town, even she would have dealt with not being cool anymore a decade ago. No, if she's yes, still dealing with this at 55, I mean, how arrested is your development? And I, I just didn't believe it. When you think of the carry that they present to you in the first episode, was this is the part that's... They presented her in big, and they had a dream life. They had a spectacular life right. together in which she was deliriously happy. And they actually made several points to show you that she was not the Carrie of her single. Right, right. Like, she likes to cook. And, you know, she lives in a penthouse instead of that little apartment. Like, she had grown. Um, so I find it very hard to believe that she would be dealing with, oh, I'm not cool anymore. I'm not the hot girl anymore. At 55, after your right. husband died? And That's a weird thing to be focused on. And complaining about noise. Come on, you live in New York. On the other hand, I did think it got her to a point in this, like at the end where she and the girl right. are in the, in the hallway talking and everything. And uh, here's the thing about being, it, being in that age group is that most of the people I know in that age group are not really obsessing over no longer being young because you've dealt with that. You dealt with that when you turned 50. Like right. if you haven't, you're seriously having some problems. And they're, nor they're more in the area of 
finding it cool to be a mentor. I'm in that zone in my life right now. So when they got to Carrie at the end of the episode, and she's not going to mentor this girl, but she could stand there and say, yeah, this is what dating in New York is like. I get it. And you know, 25 years of watching this character, yeah, she actually does really get it. Um, That's a great scene that pays off a lot of character work and a lot of storylines and feels right for the character. But this whole, I'm not cool and I'm worried that the young people don't think I'm cool. No. Right. I don't even buy that in character. If she had gotten annoyed in a different way with the whole thing, like, you know, annoyed, but at the same time, like, understanding what that is. You can't get annoyed living in that walk-up apartment that there are people on the stoop. Go back to your penthouse, lady. She got annoyed in a very 95-year-old way, you know? And it's like, no, you you wouldn't act like that. I mean... I mean, we. I mean, we live in the city. We we're used to noise all the time, and I get annoyed when I. Hear I have noise. never opened a window and no. yelled at someone for making noise in my life. I get annoyed with them. Uh, yeah. Sometimes they have parties around us, and we can hear. But Carrie Bradshaw getting anno- right. angry at street noise. Right. Is right. Silly. It makes no sense. Or the whole thing about because I'm cool, you know, I'm a writer, and whatever. Just all these excuses. It's just like, ugh. How can you be a 55-year-old with several right. bestsellers under your belt still talking like this? It doesn't scan. This is the problem with so much of the way these characters right. act. It doesn't scan. Uh, it just doesn't make sense for how they've been written in the past. And in, in Carrie's case, it actually doesn't right, make right. sense based on what we saw of her in the first episode. Right. This very that. settled society matron right. who is very wealthy and happily married. And suddenly... Eight episodes later, she's worried she can't, she's not cool enough. Having said that, I appreciated the full frontal. Full frontal, yes. <laughs> Handsome men. Uh, well, they showed Harry's dick, too. They had a, they showed Charlotte oh holding my God. it. Really? All right, let's oh, move on God. to Charlotte. <laughs> they don't know what to do with someone who's happily married on this show, yeah. who has a happy marriage, yeah. and they didn't kill off the husband, and they didn't make her gay. So... Here's Charlotte and Harry, and they keep giving her these series of problems, which just makes her sound like such an idiot. Right. Um, She, you know, if you saw the episode, she goes to give Harry a blowjob, and and their daughter walks in. Lily, their daughter, walks in on them. But she she shuts the door so quickly that Lily didn't really see what was happening. And it was funny. Charlotte winds up telling her that she was checking Harry for cancer. (laughs) And Lily winds up believing her. Uh, fine, but spend. There's some funny bits in that, but spending an entire episode, I have yet to see Charlotte. I mean, the previous episode was about how she wouldn't say I'm sorry, and the episode before that was that she was worried that there weren't any black. I get that she, Charlotte always was flighty and right, right. shallow. I get it, but she didn't always have the meatiest story. Although she had the the marriage falling apart storyline and she had the uh the fertility storyline but having said all that she's the one who's been dealing with situations far better than anybody else like you know the whole thing with the pictures and instagram with the daughter i mean that's true yeah so in a way she's the one who can actually all right let's sit and talk about this and and you know let's sit down and talk about this and have a conversation uh of my age group. <laughs> and I have to, I have to sort of maybe backtrack a little on what I just said, because I want there to be a happily married person on the show or, right. or a person who isn't desperately unhappy in their life, let's say. Uh, and it does actually scan and make sense that the Charlotte that we knew 20 years ago, yes, her life would be fully taken over with being a wife and mother right well, now. Of course. That is everything she worked right. for. And yes, she would be the kind of mother who would obsess over her daughter's every move. Right. So all of this does actually scan. I just wish they didn't give her such dumb storylines. They actually gave her something with Rock um, 
their non-binary child, right. but they haven't really done anything. Like, that could be interesting. Charlotte, the ultimate princess, the ultimate, you know, preppy princess, dealing with a daughter who is non-binary. Yeah, I shouldn't say daughter. Dealing with a child that right. is non-binary. That's interesting. Why not do that? And they actually, you know, um, made the choice, which I feel is correct, that Charlotte would have trouble with it, but she would never be, mm-hmm. she would never reject that child. But they have, they've dropped that for these silly storylines. I just hate how the show, every single episode, uh, makes you feel ashamed of things. You know, like they're, the, the way they reacted when Charlotte said that she gave a blowjob to her husband. And it's like, oh, you still do that? That, I was like, like, are what? they trying to reveal that these two women, like, okay, maybe that's why part of why your life is so unhappy with your husband, because Miranda, you're because you're blowjob. appalled at the idea. <laughs> um, but it's just, the way they reacted annoyed me so it much. It did annoy me. Oh was, my God, was what are you talking about? Judgmental yes. and... Yeah, whatever. But, and but they, believe and me, I understand. I understand it reflects a certain reality about long-term relationships and sex in your 50s and that sort of thing. But even so, their shock was overwritten. Right. And, and it's always like this over-the-top reaction about everything. Right. And, and and like, oh, don't, oh, and, you know, Carrie can't even talk about it. Oh, my God, let's not talk about this. Oh, my right. God. Like, what? you friends. I mean, when right. you're friends, you talk about everything. We have close friends, and we talk about everything. Right. Um, it just didn't feel real, like, everything in, on the show. Um, and just this, oh, my God, we're old. We're old. Everything's That's hard. Everything everything's is, like, difficult. We're old, we're yeah. old and we, we're struggling to deal with everything. All right, now let's move on to Miranda's absolute mess of a storyline. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, first off, she's at the saddest-looking Pride event I've ever seen depicted <laughs> anywhere on film. <laughs> I went online. It's like 20 people standing in the I rain know. with, like, the worst <laughs> signs, protests. You, just awful. And it made me embarrassed because a Sex in the City was a gay, like, cultural yeah, flashpoint yeah, yeah. in the 90s and early 2000s. Everybody was watching it. Um, and it just is so embarrassing that when they do go into queer areas, they are so bad at depicting it right. most of the time. Uh, remember Stanford and Anthony's wedding with Liza Minnelli? Yeah. I mean, just yeah. they're just not good at it. And this was another instance of, oh, my God, that the is... The signs alone. <laughs> how can you be in New York and not be able to mount a reasonable right. pride scene? Right. Um, so anyway, Miranda's there and Che is there. I mean, she was it. She was the pride event. Che up on a stage with rainbows behind her. I don't even know what the hell that was supposed to be. Uh, I'm sorry, rainbows behind them. Um, and they give the yet another of their, um, it's just so great to be me and to be out and to be queer, quote unquote, comedy sets. There's not a joke in it. All she does, all they do is get up and give uh, like pep talks to the crowd. And they're all cheering. It's just... Awful. And, the, and horrible. It, I lost it when Tay turns to the to the left or to the right. I think it's to the l- right and said, "And let's let's you know let's here are let, our allies, which let, we here all allies. roped off in one area." Yeah, I'm like, are, are, "Do they have a special box on the left?" Or? Everything about it. Everything about it. <laughs> are they separated? Like, are they coordinated? What and what is it? Che remains the worst written character on television, and possibly the worst written queer character I've ever seen. Just, Everybody's every, saying the same thing on social so media. It's so bad, yeah, it's and beautiful. I actually do feel bad for Sarah Ramirez. Um, I I don't think there's anything wrong with the way they're playing that role. I think 
the idea of that character works, but the reality, the, the things they make them say, the mm-hmm. things that come out of their mouth are just, what? first off, it is more than clear that um, Shay it does not want a monogamous relationship. Right. It is so very obvious, right. and yet it is also very obvious that Miranda has not given that a thought at all. I don't understand how Miranda, the character, is dealing with everything the way she's dealing uh with the husband i mean are you kidding me so yeah she she has her big moment where she she finally well they allow steve to be in the story again and have two lines i actually thought he had he got they actually did okay by him because he i don't want to say he tore into her because he loves her too much and he's just not an angry person but he uh, was very honest with her that he was just tired of right. clearly not being good enough for her. Their whole marriage and relationship had been defined by him waiting for her to make up her mind on him. And that's a terrible way to treat someone, but that's true. That is true. I don't have a problem with Miranda's marriage falling apart because it was always the most tenuous out of the relationships the show ended with. But it was never like this. And and then there that, are better ways to write the story. Exactly. I mean, it, it's just... Her blowing no up her life doesn't yeah. really make much sense. It might have made more sense when they were dealing, when they were implying that she was an alcoholic, but then, oh, she cured her alcoholism by... Oh, in in 50 minutes. And it was never mentioned again. Right. So, um, no, none of this makes sense. Not Miranda was never dumb about relationships. She was always cynical about them. Right. So for her to be running off to Cleveland to surprise Che, who, let's face it, she's going to find Che in a hotel room with someone. Making out with someone, yeah. Because Che never promised anything to Miranda. So we're going to go from straight drama to lesbian drama. or Which, yeah, I know. Or queer drama, I Um, should say. Yeah, it's just going to be another mess. And I just got so annoyed with Steve, you know, looking for his... his, hearing aid because uh-huh. oh it's somewhere here in the couch cushions and let me tell you something as someone with hearing loss uh for the level of his hearing loss those things are probably about five thousand dollars a piece um and i realize that miranda and steve have money but i also don't think steve would be that flippant about something costing five thousand dollars oh here i gotta find it because they've got to turn him into this 80 year old man because right. that's apparently that way it justifies miranda leaving or right. miranda right. cheating right. or miranda treating exactly. him badly it's like well he can't find her clit and he he's he talks like an old man so you know that's the justification here right um, although I think it's pretty obvious that they are heading Miranda towards a f- another fault. Like, this yeah, is all going to blow up in her yes, face. Yes. Um, it's not like she's going to get some happy ending here. So I don't know where they're going with this story, but I do feel like it's incredibly badly handled from from start to finish. Uh, I, I can believe their marriage falling apart. I can believe that um, uh, she might be you know find out in her 50s that she has queer desires all of that is true Mm -hmm. but this whole i'm going to completely detonate my life in all of this i hate to be like what about the children but she hasn't mentioned brady in any of this right never mentions brady because his story mentions steve at all so it's like it's fine it's fine that they want to give this character this story but they're making her weirdly heartless and irresponsible in a way that she never was and you could do all of that if her friends were going, Miranda, what are you doing? I'm like, what the fuck? But they only did that once, and then they were made to sound really judgmental. And even Carrie, this episode, like Miranda's like, I, 
I told Steve, and now I'm I'm running to the airport. Like, okay, this is your friend of 35 years. Wouldn't you be like, right? I mean, Kara just shrugged and was like, oh, okay. Like, that's no. the part yeah. that that's no, not how friends react. That's no. not how friends react. They would, they absolutely would, not. They what would are think, you doing, woman? Blah, yeah. blah, blah. Even if you think breaking up is a good idea, you right, have right. To, you can't think her run, no. jumping on a plane is no, a good it idea. It makes no sense, especially when Chase said, um, you know, I don't do conventional relationships. It's so or, or obvious. I mean, duh. Right. I mean, even when someone says, I love you, I want to be with you forever, there's no guarantee that the person's going to be with you. Right. Imagine starting the conversation and say, you know what? I don't do you know, normal. Right. <laughs> anyway, I no, like, okay. I think the frustration here is not just as old fans of the show, that this show is just not working, but that they really are dancing around things that could be interesting about life in your fifties. I want to see someone pursue a queer life. Right. I mean, that's an interesting storyline and in, in their fifties uh, or, and I don't think Carrie as a widow is a terrible idea. I think there is stuff to unpack there, but they're just, as we've said before, they make it sound like this just graveyard to where all, there's no hope and nobody values you. And, you know, you the world is too confusing to deal with. And it's all very scary. And you bemoan your loss of youth constantly. Right. Like, it's all they fucking deal Talk with. about. Seriously. I don't understand. I was expecting a show with ladies, like, happy, not happy, but content or fabulous or fabulous and and the and thing is for all the flaws of sex in the city and i realize the show is it hasn't aged well in a lot of ways but it was aspirational right it was despite everything how difficult dating is how difficult living in new york is despite everything it can be fabulous to be 30 and single. That was the entire... Right. And at the time, that was revolutionary to say it, you know, to be 30 or 35 at, at, at a certain point. They had, I remember Charlotte's 35th birthday was in Atlantic City. Charlotte, are you in there? Remember? <laughs> oh, my God. And Carrie's 35th birthday, or was it her 30th? Yeah, we remember she, everything. Yeah. Uh, people didn't go, They no one showed up at the restaurant, and then yes. she dropped her cake. Oh, and the, my God, yeah. yes. But that show was about that. It would allow them to have these cringeworthy moments. But then it would always end on a note of, but isn't it great to be 30, right, your own right, woman, right. and not married? Like, isn't it great to have friends and great shoes? Like, it was aspirational in that way, even if it was a fantasy. And I understand that the creators behind this show feel like they need to address some of the shortcomings of these characters in the past. But in, in the, the result is when is that they've taken these formerly aspirational characters and turned all three of them into these cringe characters where you just have to suffer through watching them in all of these embarrassing situations. And there's almost never a moment at the end where they're like, still, I love being 55 in, in New York. Right, right. I love that I'm going to school. I love that I'm building, I wrote a new book. I love, whatever. It's never that. It's never that. D despite everything else about the original Sex and the City, it was about loving the life they were leading over right, and right. over and over again. It dealt with the messy parts of it, but the end result was they all loved it. They all loved being where they were doing what they were doing. That's not who they are anymore. They all, it's painful and it's difficult and it's hard and scary. And it's just a pathetic way to write these characters. Anyway, right. I'm rambling. No, but it's true. It, it's especially the part that they, they were struggling with, to deal with whatever. Like whatever technology, whatever. Oh my God, I can't social media. Oh my God, lights. Oh my God, alarm. Right. The alarm, you know, I can't turn it off. What? I know, I know. Stuff like that. I mean, come on, people. Right. They live in New York. We've seen better. I mean, if you watched the show before, I mean, these ladies, they've done it all. Right. There's no way in hell they would be so incompetent. 
and it wouldn't be able to deal with things now. Uh, it's just wrong, 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 wrong. Yeah. Uh, just but a we're sad affair. We're yes. going to keep watching. <laughs> of course, because we can't not watch it. Um, and maybe they'll pull it together. I don't know. Anyway, that's us for this week. Is there anything else you wanted to add? No, that's pretty much it. We wrote a review today of The yes. Gilded Age, which yes. is trashy, trashy fun. Amazing costume. The American Downton Abbey. The sets are drop-dead ridiculous because we're not talking old country houses in England. We're call- we're talking about those massive tacky right, mansions. Right. And it's such an interesting in New York. Um, part of the American history at that time. Mm-hmm. And it's just beautiful. I just love it. Yeah. Uh, everything about it. It's and not prestige television, but it's fun. It's fun television with amazing actors. So, yes. good. And that's us for this week, I think. We'll be back next week with yes. whatever crosses our eyes or crosses our desks. Until then, uh, take care of yourself. Love you. Mean it. Bye-bye. Bye.